Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of the Lord. Let's uh, repeat the Easter acclamation. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning with gratitude and praise for your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we pray, Father, that you would please send your Spirit upon us this morning as we uh, worship together, as we reflect together on all that Jesus has done. Pry open our cold, resistant hearts. Put away all the distractions that keep us from hearing you. And give us grace, Father, that we might not only hear your word, but believe it, obey it, Father, and rejoice in it for your Son's sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning once again and happy Easter once again. Uh, thank you for being here on this beautiful Lord's Day. It's wonderful to see uh, so many uh, new friends. Uh, we have people in the audience this morning, in the congregation this morning, who I I think this may be one of the first times they've ever been to church, and that is a, that is a great joy to me and a great encouragement to me 
to know that the, the Lord is very, very much at work. He's at work in all kinds of ways, not least of all through you, his people. And for that, I'm very, very, very grateful. Uh, if you would, just look at the cover of the bulletin for a moment. Uh, this has been on the cover of the bulletin every Sunday for months. Uh, you've probably gotten used to seeing it, but I want to draw your attention to, you, to it. Uh, first of all, you'll notice uh, the title, The King and His Kingdom. And uh, you'll also notice uh, two crowns, one that looks very familiar, a golden crown. Uh, King Charles is getting uh, coronated uh, in a few weeks in England, and a lot of us will be watching on TV as that happens. Well, the crown to the left in the picture looks a little like his crown. The one to the right, however, looks unlike any other crown that's ever been. You may recognize it if you've been attending church. It's a crown of thorns. And that is a crown that is uniquely associated with just one king. One king. And that king is Jesus. And it's his kingdom and his kingship that we've been thinking about. It's, it's him as king and his kingdom that we've been thinking about for, well, for months. Uh, some of you will remember we've been studying the Gospel of Matthew since the First few Sundays of Advent back in November, uh, beginning November 27th, when we looked at the story of John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. John is sort of the patron saint of Advent. And uh, John came, Matthew tells us, proclaiming the coming king. The coming king whose coming into the world was the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises that God had made to his people Israel. And John came to proclaim him, to prepare his way. Uh, we continued through Matthew for all of the season of Epiphany. Then we entered Lent and we began looking at the Sermon on the Mount as Matthew tells it to us. Jesus' most famous sermon and probably his most misunderstood sermon. Um, and then a couple of days ago, we uh, on Good Friday looked at Matthew chapter 27. We looked at most of the chapter, but we focused particularly on an unusual part of the chapter, which I'll make reference to again in a moment. But in this section, uh, Matthew reveals to us that the coming king that we've been learning about from Matthew 1, 2, 3, all the way up into Matthew 27, that, that coming king is also the crucified king, the king who put on the crown of thorns. He became the crucified king. And then uh, finally today, Matthew reveals that the crucified king is also the resurrected king. So here we are, 2,000 years later, joining millions of other Christians around the world in proclaiming, Alleluia, he is risen. Alleluia. So I guess I want to ask you this Easter morning, what are we disciples of Jesus today to learn from what Matthew tells us about the resurrected king? I want to share this morning four brief takeaways this Easter morning that I, I hope you will take to heart, that you will uh, think about today when you're gathered around the Easter table with your family and friends and celebrating, uh, and then this week as you go back to work and are tempted to forget about the things we've talked about today, and then all through the year to come, that we really would grab hold to what it means to worship the coming king, the crucified king, 
the resurrected king. Because these four takeaways will, I think, impact every moment of every day if we really take on board what Matthew has to tell us. Uh, four takeaways. First, Jesus' disciples trust the resurrected king. Secondly, Jesus' disciples worship the resurrected king. Thirdly, Jesus' disciples obey the resurrected king. And finally, Jesus' disciples proclaim the resurrected king. If you look at uh, the uh, first verse of chapter 28, you, you'll read the familiar Easter opening. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. They went to see the tomb. They'd been thinking about it since Good Friday. Uh, they'd been preparing themselves by reflecting on the Sabbath day, God's faithfulness to his covenant people. They'd been thinking about it during the season of Passover. This all happens during the season of Passover. Some, I think Eloise says she celebrates Passover. It's a good thing to celebrate. Uh, Passover this year started this week, uh, this past week. And continues for our Jewish friends. They'll be in worship possibly uh, this week. Uh, thanking God for his faithfulness to them as, as shown in the Passover. Well, uh, Mary Magdalene and, and uh, the other Mary, as Matthew says, had been thinking about these things. Passover, Sabbath, this had been on their minds. And so on the first day of the week, on this Sunday morning, they go and they uh, look, go to, to see the tomb where Jesus had been buried. Um, they go and uh, they have these questions, these thoughts on their minds as they go. Verse 2, Matthew says, Behold, there was a great earthquake. You know, Matthew talks more about earthquakes than anybody. <laughs> he mentions earthquakes several times. This, this physical, ge geological response, however it was manifested, this, this geological response to the very depths of the earth, this response to what was happening. There was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. It's an interesting scene. It's slightly described slightly differently in each gospel writer who highlights different aspects and maybe even different experiences at that garden tomb. But it says in verse 3, and this is all the gospel writers agree, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And what did they do? Verse 4, the guards were told fear. And a little later on, we're, to, we're, told, we're told down in verse 8 that the women also had fear. They had fear. You see, the, the empty tomb by itself doesn't tell us a whole lot. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the people who opposed Jesus' ministry had already plotted uh, about this. They, they had actually posted those guards at that tomb so that the disciples could not come and steal the body. That's why the guards were there. You don't ordinarily need to put guards at a tomb. Not much is going to happen at a tomb. Once the person is dead, why post guards? They had guards there for one reason. They wanted to make sure the disciples did not steal Jesus's body. That's why the guards were there. And so when the tomb is opened in this remarkable way and they look inside and see that the body of Jesus is gone. It was gone while the, door, while the tomb was sealed. It's 
So it was a remarkable display of God's power. And, and so naturally, the guards were in fear. Even, even the women who went to the tomb intentionally to, to see where Jesus, whom they loved, had been buried, even they, when they saw the empty tomb, their response was not immediately to praise God, really. Their immediate response was fear. They were confused. They didn't know what to make of this. There was fear, the Greek word phobo, where we get phobia. They were, they were afraid. Well, the empty tomb to us today isn't necessarily the answer to all of our questions. That's why Matthew goes on to say everything else he has to say. Jesus sent an angel, God sent an angel, with a message to the women in particular. The angel said, do not be afraid. And then Jesus himself came and brought his greeting to them so that they would not be afraid, so that they would trust him. They would trust him as they learned the significance of his resurrection. Jesus wanted them not to be afraid, but to trust him. And you know, I, I think that might be the most basic definition of what it means to be a Christian disciple. We don't start our Christian life with a full-blown Reformed theology. We don't start the Christian life understanding everything. You know where we start the Christian life? Well, in Matthew 4, Jesus describes it as repenting, turning towards him, turning towards him. That's where the Christian life begins. It begins with the, the simple response of faith and trust to this person. And to this day, that's what defines discipleship. It's a, a person who trusts Jesus. That really is, is what it boils down to. Scrape away all the theology, scrape away all the ponderings and the meditations and the reflections, all of which can be very, very valid, very, very helpful, but it basically boils down to this, trusting Jesus. And having lived through some deaths in my family, having experienced what it's like to be 64, almost 65, brushing up against mortality every once in a while. My discipleship rests in trusting Jesus. I trust him, and we together can trust him. That's what the disciples have always been about, trusting him. It's not about perfect theology. It's about trusting Jesus. A few years ago, I visited an old church in New York City called Trinity Wall Street. We've all heard of Wall Street. Well, did you know at the very end of Wall Street, there is a church, and it's a church with a graveyard. I, I, I like to remind us ultra-capitalists that at the end of Wall Street is a graveyard. <laughs> Never forget that. And I was there visiting uh, my son William's godfather is a minister, and he was vicar of Trinity Wall Street, and we were visiting him once, and we were looking around the graveyard at these uh, gravestones, some of which go back to the 1600s. They've been burying people in Wall Street a long time. And we were looking around, and I was looking at the different headstones. They're beautiful to look at. They span centuries. 
And I found one gravestone I'll, I'll never forget. It said, trusting in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I thought, that's it. That is it. Trusting in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity is. It's trusting in Jesus and trusting in him ultimately. Trusting in the, the promises that he made. Trusting in the things that he taught us. And trusting in his death on the cross and his resurrection life. That's Christianity. And so that's what Matthew describes. They quit fearing a little bit. They reflected on what had happened. They began to take it on. And we, we see here in Matthew 28 this transformation in the disciples who had loved him and trusted him as far as they had. But here on Easter morning, they trusted him and began to trust him in a new and even deeper way. And brothers and sisters, this Easter morning, I, I want to bring you good news of great joy. That baby who was born in Bethlehem has been raised to new and never-ending life, and we can put our trust in him. We can live life today trusting him, leaning on him, hoping in him, as Christians right through the ages have done. So that's, that's the first takeaway for Easter 2023. Jesus' disciples trust the resurrected king. Secondly, Jesus' disciples worship the resurrected king. If you look at um, verse 9, you'll see that the women who, as usual, were ahead of the men on this. The first worshipers Matthew records after the resurrection were women. Jesus loves women. Jesus treasures women. And so it says that in verse uh, 9, Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. Did they have a full-blown understanding of the resurrection? No. Did they have a full-blown understanding of everything Jesus was going to teach them over the next 40 days, according to Luke? No. But they trusted him, and when they saw he was alive, they had seen him dead. Matthew makes a point over in chapter 27, verse 55 and 56, that they had seen him die. They were witnesses to his death, his crucifixion. And when they saw him raised, well, they worshipped him. In some miraculous way, no doubt by the power of the Holy Spirit, they put two and two together and got infinity. Because they, they realized that, that this dead king had been raised to life meant something. That it meant that Jesus... As Thomas would learn over in the Gospel of John, uh, we're told the story about how Thomas learned this. The women, as usual, were ahead. Uh, Thomas learned, as the women in their spirits understood, that this resurrected king is actually God among us. And so they worshipped him. The word actually means to fall down before him, to, 
prostrate themselves before him. They worshipped the resurrected king. You know, our, our worship so often is really, really tame. Uh, I can say that about myself. I get so used to hearing these things and thinking about these things. and It's really easy to, to sort of lose the drama of what Easter demonstrates. That that one who died on the cross has been raised to life and now we can trust him and, and we can trust him enough to understand who he is. He's God in the flesh, raised to new life. So the, the disciples are shown worshiping the Lord Jesus. We, we see the same thing down in uh, verses 16 and 17. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, though some doubted. There were some who weren't sure yet, but it says they worshiped him too. That's the response to Jesus when we really get to know him when we really learn to trust him we realize that the person we're speaking to the person who's speaking to us that person is God so they worshiped him thirdly Jesus' disciples obeyed the resurrected king of course there's obedience right the way through the women obeyed uh, the angel had said, go and tell the disciples. And so the women went to tell the disciples. And on the way, while they were going, in obedience, Jesus appeared to them and said, greetings. They were obeying him. The 11 disciples obeyed Jesus in verse 16. It says they went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. What mountain? Could it have been the mountain where Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount? Could it have been in Capernaum, near Capernaum? Could that have been the mountain or one of the other mountains there in Galilee that they knew so well when, when Jesus worked his miracles, when he taught them, when he walked with them, the mountain they had seen with him? They go back there in obedience. The 11, Judas was gone by now. The 11 go in obedience. Because that's what trust coupled with worship does, doesn't it? Isn't it? We want to obey him. We, we trust him. We trust him. And we know who he is. And so the most natural thing in the world is to obey him. Because he loves us. Because he's given his own life for us. Because we can now live every moment of our lives leaning on him. Even at the grave, we lean on Jesus. And of course, therefore, we obey him. You know, that's, it's at the end of the story where we get the ultimate motivation to listen to everything Jesus has already said. So it's an interesting way to, to present the gospel. We're introduced to Jesus step by step by step as he teaches us. We're doing that right now as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to take an Easter break for the season of Easter, but we're coming right back to the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll be called to obey Jesus. But brothers and sisters, it's, a, it's a, a, a crazily different thing. To obey the Jesus you've come to know and trust. Rather than obey a Jesus that you don't know and don't trust. 
We are called to obey the resurrected king like the disciples did. And they're shown in growing obedience. It did not happen instantaneously. Did not happen instantaneously. They, they continued to suffer from their limited understanding, their poor wills. They weren't strong enough in their faith. They, they didn't always obey the way we wish they would. But we see this growing obedience to Christ. And I think that's the way the Christian life works. We don't start out perfect. We don't end up perfect. But in between, there are these steps of obedience as we learn from the Lord, as he teaches us, as we learn from the apostles who learn from him. As the Holy Spirit falls on us, like the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples at Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit transforms us over time. And today, I am a tiny bit more like Jesus than I was yesterday. And you're a tiny bit more like Jesus, more obedient to Jesus today than you were yesterday. And the Christian life is like that. It's a life of obedience because Jesus' disciples obey the resurrected king. Finally, the fourth takeaway. And I think this is really, really important. Jesus' disciples proclaim the resurrected king. Now, it's interesting the way Matthew presents this is in just one chapter. If you look over at Luke's gospel, Luke has a lot more to say about the period of time between Easter Sunday and the ascension of Christ. Uh, Luke records that the resurrected Jesus actually appeared to the disciples and taught them and opened the Bible to them, explained the scriptures to them, helped them to understand the scriptures. Uh, there's a, an emphasis on this process of learning, and that's a good thing. I'm glad Luke recorded that. Why does Matthew record it the way he does? We know Luke had a purpose. Does Matthew have a purpose? Well, I want to suggest to you there is a very, very important purpose. Why Matthew records the resurrection of Jesus the way he does. He, he gives us a very, very abbreviated description of the whole process of resurrection, discipleship, and finally proclamation. The end of Matthew's chapter on the, on the uh, resurrection is actually Jesus' call to mission. Jesus' call to obedience in mission specifically. Uh, in verse 18, Jesus came to the disciples and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Yes, obedience. Obedience. All authority has been given to me. Verse 19, speaking to the disciples, speaking through them to us. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, to obey all that I have commanded you. The way Matthew tells the story, the resurrected Christ presents to the disciples his mission. The mission he'd come into the world to accomplish. The mission that we see him fulfilling in every page of Matthew's gospel. That we see him fulfilling in every one of the gospels who recount how Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. To come and heal those who are broken and in need. 
And Matthew underscores the connection between the resurrection of Christ and our mission. Brothers and sisters, you and I today in Christ, if you call on Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you're a disciple, if you trust him, if you worship him, then brothers and sisters, you and I are called to proclaim him, to witness to him. The connection is impossible to miss, especially as Matthew tells the story. It's actually in all the Gospels, but here in Matthew's Gospel, there's a big exclamation point. Resurrection people proclaim Christ. Jesus' disciples make disciples. I said a minute ago there, there were people here for Holy Week and I think this morning who are not regular churchgoers. Let me tell you, that makes my day. Because a couple of reasons, that means the Holy Spirit is at work in somebody getting them to come to church. Same spirit that got a hold of me has gotten a hold of someone else and brought them to the church. There's a second reason. Chances are that person was invited by someone who attends Metrocrest. You invited someone to come to church. You proclaimed Christ. Maybe it was a very simple invitation. That's fine. Maybe it was a more elaborate present. Maybe it's someone you've been working on for a long time, praying about them, witnessing to them. But the Holy Spirit got a hold of you and helped you as he's helping me to understand that witnessing to Christ is my great privilege, my great responsibility, my great joy. It's what MetroCrest is here for. We're not only here for that. We, we love each other. We support each other. We comfort each other. We are a community that is all about healing. But brothers and sisters, we must never separate the idea of doing that from reaching out and proclaiming the gospel. We must never allow anything to drive a wedge between our worshiping Jesus and our proclaiming Jesus. If we're not proclaiming Jesus, we're not really trusting him. We're not really worshiping him. We're not really obeying him. We can do lots of other religious things that look real nice. But if we're not proclaiming him, we're not really trusting, worshiping, or obeying him. Because as he says here, all authority has been given to him, and he gives us instructions. Go, therefore. Make disciples, therefore. Baptized, by the way, we, we went to great trouble today to arrange a baptism. Uh, so committed are we to making this point that the, the Rhodes family very kindly agreed to have a baby <laughs> and to present him for baptism on Easter Sunday. And, uh, you know, that was for centuries and centuries what the church always did. It's a little unusual. I think the last one, I think we figured out the last Easter baptism I was a part of was when Thomas Laird was baptized, and that's the last one I remember. You, you may remember another one, but I'd love to see Easter baptisms becoming a thing. Of course, you can't plan when you're going to have a baby. That just sort of happens. But you can plan when you're going to invite guests and when you're going to encourage people to come and learn about Jesus, when you're going to reach out and share your faith with someone. And there's no better time to sort of bring all that together than to say to the person you've been working with and talking to and praying about, would you come to meet a church on Easter Sunday? 
And there's no better time for a person to say, yes, I will, than on Easter Sunday. And there's no better time for a person to say, I want to follow this Jesus. I want to trust this Jesus. I want to obey this Jesus as I worship him. There's no better time, I don't think, to do that than Easter. And I'm very glad that Nick and Raquel and Christian are letting us share in this very important moment for Christian. He won't remember it, but we'll remember it for him. His mommy and daddy will remember it for him. His grandparents, his, his uncle, his, his extended family, uh, they will all remember it for him, and they will tell him about it. And he'll grow up in a Sunday school with other kids who will tell him about it. And he'll see other baptisms, and he'll be reminded about the resurrected king who came to him and brought him when he was little, when he was unable to do anything on his own, the resurrected king came to him and brought him to himself to begin a life relationship of growing trust and worship and obedience. And whenever you're baptized, whatever age you may be, that's what the Christian life is. Growing and understanding those things, trusting those things, being changed by those things, all the days of our life. Well, we're going to have a baptism, brothers and sisters, so would you bow your heads with me and let's pray to the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your Son, Jesus. We're so grateful this Easter Sunday, 2023, to say with your people through the ages and around the world, Alleluia, Christ is risen. Gracious God, thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your son. Thank you that he suffered on the cross to die for us. Thank you, Lord, that he has been raised now to new and never-ending life for us. Please, gracious God, take away our anxieties and fears. Father, we, we're, we're so filled with anxiety and fear. Please help us. Take away those things that keep us from hearing your voice. And give us grace, Heavenly Father, that with those women and with those disciples we might hear the words of your Son, be changed by him, and trust him and worship him all the more. Please send your Spirit upon us to make it so. For Jesus' sake, Father. Amen.